Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to deal with part two of the life of Maria Woodworth Etter. Now, just a quick review about a little of what we talked about last time. Uh, Maria was a prominent female minister, possibly the first prominent female minister in the United States. She was the owner of the largest gospel tent of her time. She had America's first healing ministry and was an evangelist whose meetings were attended by the thousands. She was a woman of great faith, daring, and commitment. She was also a woman who suffered a great deal of grief during her lifetime. Her father was an alcoholic. She lost all but one of her children and uh, had a husband that cheated on her and tried to smear her in the press. So this woman, she really she really went through it. Now, this is an interesting segue to our first uh, topic in this podcast. Maria Woodworth Etter was charged with insanity, and there were people that actually tried to have her committed to an insane asylum. Now, talk about religious persecution. Maria had experienced many visions in her lifetime, and quite a few of them occurred during her meetings. During one particular set of meetings, some local psychiatrist tried unsuccessfully to have her committed to an insane asylum because of the visions. They claimed her visions were a sign of insanity, and they also leveled charges against her, saying that she controlled her audiences through hypnotism. Now, they said, we thought that the performances in that tent ought to be stopped, either by abatement as a nuisance or by an inquiry into the mental condition of Mrs. Woodworth, whom we regard as undoubtedly insane. Now, in an interesting turn of events, this actually resulted in even more people attending the meetings, which meant even more people had an opportunity to hear the gospel, more people had an opportunity to be touched by the Lord, more people had an opportunity to be healed. So, people often came to these meetings out of curiosity. They wanted to see the crazy woman. They wanted to see if she was going to have a vision. They wanted to see if somebody was going to go into a trance. And while their motives for attending the meetings might have been extremely disrespectful, that didn't stop the Lord from reaching out and touching many of these hearts. And I also think it's interesting how having something like a charge of insanity leveled against you and then the Lord uses that to reach even more people the devil meant it for bad the devil meant it to be hurtful the devil meant it as an attempt to shut her up and instead with the power of God his almighty power he was able to turn that very thing against the powers of darkness so I thought that was pretty neat. You don't hear a lot of preachers getting charged with insanity. So what was Maria's preaching style? What was she doing during these meetings? That's an interesting question. Maria put everything she had into her preaching and was described as being sweet-spirited yet very firm. You see, you don't have to be a wimp if you're sweet-spirited. And I know sometimes we get that idea, you know, we, we tend to go to extremes as Christians. We get so 
rigid and firm and unmovable that we become without realizing it mean-spirited or we try to be so sweet and so kind and so loving that we end up not really standing for anything at all but with the Lord's help we can achieve that balance I believe the Lord is all about balance and we can achieve that balance of being sweet-spirited and yet firm of being kind and thoughtful and compassionate yet at the same time holding up uh holding to a standard so that's what maria's uh what's the word i'm looking for that was kind of her approach uh balancing firmness and sweet spiritedness now they said maria used her hands a lot when she was preaching uh in the pulpit she had a commanding presence and was said to be quite an impressive speaker she had no formal training at public speaking. All her training, I mean all of her training, came directly from the Lord, directly from the Holy Spirit. There was no, uh, really no way for her to have gone to Bible college or to have uh, received any formal training in the time period and conditions and situations which she was in. So the Lord provided her with that himself. And so what we have here is a woman whose education ended while she was still in elementary school. And yet she was gifted and talented in the Lord. She was able to preach sermons that held audiences. Uh, and I hate to use the word spellbound because that has unpleasant connotations. It kind of ties them with the accusations of uh, <laughs> using hypnotism. But she was able to preach sermons that held people's attention. And she did this not just in backwoods areas where uh, the proverbial rednecks would live, but she did this in major cities in the United States. So, um, her meetings usually lasted several hours. We're talking hours. Now, granted, this was before the time of television and radio and internet and smartphones and all of that. We didn't have near the distractions then that we do now there's no comparison however it's still you still have to deal with the human attention span and yet the lord was moving so mightily in her meetings they would last from say 9 a.m to 3 p.m and crowds would sometimes be over 8,000. now as maria grew older her voice grew hoarse but she still kept preaching. She basically wore her voice out. And that's not an uncommon thing for uh, preachers. When I was a little kid growing up, uh, the first pastor I remember was uh, Pastor Sarah Sharp in DeSoto, Texas at El Bethel uh, Church. And she had preached for many, many years on the evangelistic circuit. And her voice would break quite often in, uh, while she was preaching. And it was because she wore it out. So Maria often wore her voice out and did some permanent damage to it. Now, we hear these accusations that Maria was insane, that she needed to be in a mental hospital, that she hypnotized her audiences and controlled them. Oddly enough, contrary to popular belief, her meetings were actually quite orderly. Now, that's interesting. Okay, so uh, another interesting aspect of Maria's preaching style was when Maria wasn't preaching, she was praying. 
And that, that is likely the key to the impact of her ministry. That is likely the key to how the Lord was able to use her in a healing ministry and an evangelistic ministry in a time like he did when women were frowned upon in those uh, types of positions, you know. So she was always praying. That was what she, if she wasn't preaching, Maria was praying and seeking God. And she took the ministry very, very seriously. She didn't treat it lightly. She didn't make jokes about it. She was very serious about all of this. So, um, now another interesting thing is about the praying. Maria and her team would pray for the sick during the meetings. And they would do this as long as her strength would hold out. Maria would pray for people until she literally could not stand up anymore. And then, knowing her, they probably put her in a chair. So she would uh, work till almost the point of collapse in her meetings because she was determined to do what the Lord had called her to do. And she wanted to reach as many people as possible and help as many people as possible. To her... The whole point of being alive was to be in service to God. Now, the presence of the Lord was so strong in these meetings because of the combined prayers of herself and her team that many times people were healed in their seats without ever having to go forward to be prayed for. All kinds of diseases and injuries and disorders were healed. Some healings were immediate. Some of them were dramatic. Others began at the meeting and slowly progressed to a full healing. Now, it should be noted that Maria discouraged fanaticism and disorder. She did not like that going on in her meeting. She would not stand for fanaticism. Now, another interesting facet of her ministry in the early years is that as she traveled across the United States, she established churches in just about every place she went, Enough people would get saved that they needed a church, and she would help them get uh, a church started and get grounded and help them find a good pastor. So um, there's a lot of churches that were founded across the United States because of the Lord moving so much in Maria's meetings. All right, let's talk about Maria's uh, marriage. If you recall, Maria married when she was quite young. She was hoping that she would marry a godly young man and that they would go in the ministry together, and things didn't work out. In fact, as we look over the whole of Maria's life, to say things didn't work out is kind of an understatement. Here's what happened, okay? He didn't share her commitment to the Lord. Philo Woodworth didn't. He was a professing Christian. If he had been born again, the man had grown very, very cold in his heart. And through the years, especially after Maria's ministry started, he began drinking. And the drinking led to him having affairs. That was the next thing he did. He didn't just go out one day, uh, leave church and go have an affair. These things, there's a progression to it. And so he started having affairs and cheating on Maria. And then the next level in this progression is he started actively interfering and trying to stop Maria's meetings. So, um, the the business of having an affairs and committing adultery while Maria was actually uh, holding meetings, it just got to be ridiculous. And Maria actually 
separated from him in the late 1880s, and then 1891, Maria divorced him for infidelity. Now, he was enraged that she would actually divorce him for cheating on her. He was so enraged, in fact, that he insisted she either pay him alimony or he would write a book critical of her ministry. Now, I don't know. <laughs> you know he's wanting her to pay him alimony. I'm wondering out of what? Because she sure didn't make a lot of money as a preacher. I can tell you that. Uh, many of her, during the early years of her ministry, a lot of the time was spent at near poverty level. So, we have here a, a man that has cheated on his wife, that is backslidden, that has turned his back on God, that is threatening to interfere with her ministry. Um, well, after she divorced him, he remarried. He married a 16-year-old girl and then died of typhoid fever within a year. Is there a connection between his threats against the ministry that the Lord had given her and his death? I don't know. In my personal opinion, I'd say yes. You know, the Bible does say, touch not mine anointed and do my servants no harm. So, uh, but that brought an end to the marriage between Maria and Philo. After he died, after he passed away, she met Samuel Etter and they married after he had passed away. So, that's where the Maria Woodworth-Etter comes from, is when she married uh, Samuel Etter. Now, he was totally different from Philo Woodworth. He was truly a man of God, and he was very active in the uh, ministry that the Lord had given Maria. He would preach, he would pray, he would write, and he would help pitch tents. Wherever help was needed, uh, Samuel would step in and do whatever they needed him to do. So he was a good man, and I'm glad that Maria had an opportunity to have a husband that was supportive of her and of the ministry that the Lord had given her. Now, it would be many years before Maria would sort of find her place in organized religion, at least. Many of the signs and wonders that took place in Maria's ministry were viewed critically by many of the religious leaders of her time. The healings, the visions, and even the tongues that went on in her meetings were unusual. That uh, much of it predated the birth of the Pentecostal movement at Azusa at the turn of the century. Her own denomination that had originally licensed her to preach was critical of her until she finally gave up her license as an evangelist. Um, because they were so critical. However, a series of meetings she held in Dallas, Texas. Remember I said that she didn't just hold meetings in backwoods areas, but in major cities, major metropolitan areas. A series of meetings she held in Dallas, Texas, by early Pentecostal leader F.F. F. Bosworth, convinced the Pentecostals that Maria was indeed one of them. She had finally found her place in organized religion, although her place in God had never been in jeopardy. However, her meetings were attended by all denominations, and she was led of the Lord not to focus on controversial doctrines that divided churches, but to focus on what most Christians could agree on doctrinally. Now, 
That doesn't mean that preachers are not supposed to preach on controversial topics of doctrine. I'm not saying that, and Maria would not agree with that. But this was the direction that the Lord led Maria's ministry as she was trying to reach as many people as possible. Now, Maria, remember, she was firm yet sweet-spirited. There were certain doctrines that Maria would not compromise on. Okay, but she tried to focus on what they could agree on. And, you know, the most important thing that the many uh, Christian denominations can agree on is salvation and our need of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ as the answer to our problems. And so that's the major emphasis of her ministry. Now, her nickname for many years had been Mother Edder, and this was given to her by another Pentecostal leader, John G. Lake. Now, like Maria, John G. Lake also had a fascinating healing ministry. Now, Maria later helped found the Assemblies of God in 1912. So we talked about earlier the psychiatrists that were trying very hard to have Maria uh, committed to an insane asylum. Well, she was also arrested for fraud. Uh, she was cleared of it, but she was arrested. Uh, in August of 1913, Maria and two of her associates were arrested in Farmingham, Massachusetts. Now, here's what the charge was. Uh, her detractors claimed that the healings in the meetings were not real. Therefore, any collections that Maria took up to keep these meetings going was obtained under false pretense and therefore amounted to fraud. The opposition included the chief of police in Farmingham, Massachusetts, the prosecuting attorney, two ministers, isn't that sad, and three doctors. Now, this ended up being a challenge to prove that the healings were real. So, that was the challenge. The Lord was with Maria. And the witnesses she provided proved to the judge's satisfaction that the healings were real. Um, <coughs> you can find uh, pictures that show newspaper headlines that said, Many vouch for healing by Mrs. Etter. Woman healer is arrested at revival service. Acquit healers in fraud case. Uh, so, um, now, first of all, I do want to point out that Maria Woodworth Edder never claimed to heal anybody. The healing comes through Jesus Christ. She would merely point people in the right direction, and she would pray for them. But Maria was utterly and absolutely powerless to heal anybody. So when they refer to her as being a woman healer, she was not calling herself a healer. That's what the press and the public referred to her as. Now, there was a really cool example of one of these healings. Um, you can do some research and track this down. Uh, There's a little boy named Louis Romer, L-O-U-I-S Romer, R-O-M-E-R. A cute little boy. And it was 1914 at a meeting in Topeka, Kansas. This was one of the healings that really captured the attention of the press. Louis Romer was 10 years old and suffered from chorea, um, also known as St. Vitus Dance. And the little fellow was shaking so bad and so continuously 
that he wasn't even able to feed himself anymore because the tremors were so serious. To make matters worse, his toes had bent beneath his feet to the point he couldn't even wear shoes anymore, and his fingers had begun to curl up too. Because of the condition that Louis was in, doctors did not expect him to live past 13. But there is God. <coughs> now, you can also find a picture of Louis as an adult male. And looking at him, you can see he lived a long, long, long time past 13. So here's what happened. His mother took him to one of Maria's meetings. There he said, Sister Edder laid her hands on his head. And Louis said that he felt a cooling of his nerves as a tingle of warmth went through his body. And in an instant, in an instant, his fingers and toes straightened out. And Louis said he felt so good and it all took place in less time than it takes for him to tell the story. And his healing made the headlines, Boy Cured by Miracle, said the newspaper headlines. And Louis said he never suffered with shaking again. In fact, he was known for having such steady hands. And some of the work and hobbies that he did required extremely steady hands. And so the Lord had completely and totally healed this young man. And his healing took place right before Maria was accused of fraud. Now, isn't that interesting? So, <coughs> sorry for coughing. Um, I think I've got a case of bronchitis and I'm going to the doctor soon. So again, I apologize for, apologize for coughing. Well, that uh, incident with being charged with fraud was not the only time that Maria was brought before a judge. So let's talk about another incident where Maria was brought before a judge. And this ties in with little Louis Romer that we talked about. A judge in Topeka, Kansas, again a major city, ruled that children under the age of 16 should not be allowed into Maria's meetings. Now, little Louis Romer, um, he had been so touched by the Lord in that meeting, and he wanted a deeper experience in the Lord. He was only 10 years old, but he knew that he wanted more of the Lord, and he begged his mother to take him back to the meetings. And so, even though they had the rule in place that children under 16 couldn't attend, his mother took him. She uh, brought him to the meeting, and then she was brought before the judge on charges of being a delinquent parent. Can you imagine that? You take your child to a Christian religious meeting where he was healed just days before, and now you're brought before the judge and charged with uh, being a delinquent parent? Unless she agreed to not take her son back to the meetings, they were going to take him away from her. Now, that's scary. That's scary that they would have that kind of power, but that's what was going on. And the young mother agreed. She was frightened. She didn't want to lose Louis, so she agreed not to take him to any more of Maria's meetings. Now, the judge decided to attend one of Maria's meetings. And he informed Maria 
that if he saw her converts rolling on the floor or behaving in anything that he deemed a disorderly fashion, he would shut the meetings down. Well, Maria didn't worry at all. She turned it over to the Lord and let the Lord control the service. Now, here's what's funny. Okay, remember this judge said, if anybody rolls on the floor, I'm shutting these meetings down. Here's the headline on the next day in the paper. Holy rollers break benches from fervor. (laughs) Not only were they rolling on the floor, they were breaking the benches. (laughs) Now, of course, there could be some exaggeration in that headline. That could be the modern, the modern equivalent of that headline could well be clickbait. But um, they just continued on as usual with the meetings. And the judge did nothing, even though he said, If I consider this disorderly, I'm shutting it down. And it was what he considered disorderly. He didn't shut it down. And I attribute that to the power of God. Maria's meetings continued. Well, grief and sadness is about to hit Mother Edder's life again. In the 1910s, Samuel began to have extremely serious health problems, and this worried Maria greatly. Now, you know she had to pray and pray and pray for him. But he would get better, but he wasn't healed. And then he passed away in August of 1914. And Maria herself fell extremely ill not long after he passed. She developed a dangerously high fever, a racing pulse, And no doubt her health had been compromised in general by grief and by stress. Now, she was 67 years old at this time, which is not not very old. But she had lived a very hard life in the sense of hard work and uh, stress and being on the road, all of that. And she had traveled thousands upon thousands of miles before we had nice roads in the United States, before we had highways and freeways, uh, before we had comfortably riding cars. And she had preached untold hours of sermons. She had stood on her feet for untold hours during meetings. She had prayed for countless people. And Maria was afraid that she was about to die, that death was imminent. That November after... Samuel passed away in August. However, the Lord gave her a vision to show her that her work wasn't quite finished yet. And Maria recovered and was back out on the road by January of the following year. And was arrested. (laughs) Uh, She was arrested about, let's see, how was it, six years later, back on the road again and arrested again. This time... (laughs) I think they were running out of charges. This time, Maria was charged with practicing medicine without a license. So we had charges of insanity, charges of fraud, charges of disorderly conduct, and now charges of practicing medicine without a license. Absolutely nothing came of this charge. Then she was arrested for disturbing the peace in Los Angeles. And by this time, Maria was in her 70s. And you just got to love the idea of a woman preacher in the in the 1910s, 1920s, in her 70s, getting arrested for disorderly conduct in Los Angeles, of all places. The trial 
for her disorderly conduct charge was delayed by a few weeks and the judge finally told her she didn't even need to bother showing up in court and the case was dismissed. Now there's a neat picture that I found and if you want to do a lot of research into Maria, check out the Flower Pentecostal Heritage Center, ifphc.org. Fantastic repository of cool things. And uh, digitized Pentecostal evangels, all that kind of stuff. But in one of the pictures from the Pentecostal, of, uh, or from doing a search for Maria on that website, they have... Uh, one of her meetings, she's standing on the platform in a white dress. She's uh, getting older by this time. She has both hands up in the air. And there's banners across the front of the meeting hall. Right over the door, it says, Praise ye the Lord. At the very top center, at the peak of the... Uh, peak of the roof inside, it says, Old Fashioned Revival. And down below, it says, Get right with God. And that, that would always be the emphasis of Maria's ministry. You remember she worried that the healing would draw attention away from the message that people needed to get right with God. And the Lord reassured her that he would help her to not let that happen. And so to the end, the message was still get right with God. It wasn't how to live a happy life. It wasn't how to succeed. It wasn't how to be wealthy. It was get right with God. Because you know what, guys? When it comes time for us to die, that is what is going to be the most important thing. Have we gotten our hearts made right with God? Well, in 1918, uh, Maria felt the Lord was... (laughs) again I apologize for the coughing she felt like the Lord was leading her to start a church in Indianapolis which still exists under the name of Lakeview Church this became her headquarters and she began to hold conferences there and that way she didn't have to travel so far out to reach people she could have people come to her and again all this uh all this neat stuff going on in her meetings. The Lord's still moving. The Lord's still saving. The Lord's still setting free. The Lord's still healing. And Maria's health began to decline again. And many times Maria had to be carried to the pulpit in a chair, but she was still determined to preach. And Maria passed away at the age of 80 on September 16th. 1924 she died peacefully in her room and the pentecostal evangel wrote she has been the means of blessing to hundreds of thousands and many will rise up to call her blessed now i'd like to talk a little bit about maria's legacy now if you've enjoyed hearing about this and you would like to read more detail about Maria's ministry and about the miracles that took place and about the visions that she saw, I highly recommend the book A Diary of Signs and Wonders by Maria Woodworth Edder. There are some other books about her, but uh, most Maria Woodworth Edder enthusiasts like myself agree that that seems to be the very best one. It also has many of her sermons in there. 
And it's a very thick book. It's got all the information that you could possibly want. Now, Maria was a pioneer for American women in the ministry in a time when very few denominations supported the idea of women preachers. And they sincerely believed that the Bible taught against women preaching. But she was a pioneer. She was a leader of the early Pentecostal movement. And she broke ground for many manifestations such as healing and tongues and falling under the power that would later become commonplace in Pentecostal meetings. She broke the ground for that. She was accused of insanity. She was accused of hypnotizing her audiences. And she bore the brunt of that for many years. Now, Maria was instrumental in the salvation of thousands across the United States, literally from Texas to Los Angeles to Massachusetts. I mean, she traveled the United States carrying the message that we all need to get right with God. She uh, founded many churches across the United States that would allow believers to have an opportunity to grow and mature in the Lord and provide a framework of support for new converts. And her life, this is what's really cool, guys. Maria's life serves as modern proof that the miracles of the Old Testament and the miracles of the New Testament can still take place today. The age of miracles has not passed. The Lord still heals. The Lord still gives people visions. The Lord still gives people dreams. The Lord still gives people the gifts of tongues, the gift of uh, prophecy, the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching. The Lord still does all these things. And I should be a tremendous encouragement to us and a tremendous encouragement and hope to us that we can see a move of God like Maria saw in her day and time. We can see that in our time. In the span of eternity, it was just a few minutes ago that all of that took place. And when I presented... uh, this talk on Maria Woodworth Edder at the uh, local retirement community, uh, Atria Willow Park in Tyler, Texas. The last slide that I had is another one of Maria's meetings. And again, the slide is from the uh, Flower Pentecostal Heritage website. That, that's where the image is uh, from. And it shows Maria in a white dress, uh, still quite young. Her hair is black here. And there's a banner up at the top of the tent above her. Remember I mentioned at the time uh, and during her lifetime, she had the largest tent, the largest gospel tent in the United States. Well, above the platform at the top of the tent is a banner, huge letters. And it says, Jesus is coming soon. Prepare to meet him. And next to it is a banner that says, come and see the works of God. What a tremendous note to end this talk on. Maria spent her life reminding people that Jesus is coming soon and we need to be prepared to meet him. And she preached that message up until the 1920s. That would be almost a hundred years ago. And if Jesus was coming soon then, how much more imminent is his return now? 
And to anybody listening to this podcast, I encourage you to join me as I search my heart to make sure that I am right with God and that I am ready to meet the Lord. And I thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast.